from his word. And we're going to see it to be formed by the Holy Spirit throughout this summer. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to give you a huge intro, maybe the first 10 to 15 minutes of the sermon, an intro to the book of Psalms, um, which I hope helps us prepare for what I think God wants to do with our congregation, both corporately and individually, throughout the summer that we can continue to be the blessing to the city we want to be. Again, disciple the church to reach the unchurched, right? That's our mission. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And so we're getting an intro on the front end. Um, I want to say this about the book of Psalms. It's, it is very near and dear to my soul. I got saved at about 18, 19 years old. Uh, if you don't know the story, and I don't know why many of you would, um, but there was a group of us, about six friends sitting in a living room together. And, and one of my friends, who was um, probably the closest to what we would call a Christian at the time, the five non-Christians and then this girl who grew up in the church, and, and she kind of threw out this idea, hey, do you guys want to start a summer Bible study? And you had five non-Christians say yes, right? So if that's not evidence for the grace of God and the movement of God, I don't know what is. Now, we had had some experience with church. I grew up in Louisiana. There's a church every other block. I think we had one meeting in my house I didn't go to. Like, it was just, they're everywhere, right? So every other day, I would see friends and family members. They would go off to church, but my family did not. But I had some background, some experience. And so when this idea came up, it said, or it seemed to be, uh, well, why not? Let, let, let's see what truly the Bible holds. And so we started in Genesis chapter 1, right? You start in the beginning of a book. And you began to read through. I taught the second week of the study in Genesis chapter 2 as a non-believer. And Lord knows what I said back then, okay? And we worked all the way out. It gets about Genesis 50, okay? Uh, and we began to move really quick. And we began to uh, move through the stories. And uh, we're, we're kind of in the story of Joseph, and I remember a co-worker began to say, hey, what are you guys studying, you know, an interest? They, they were from a local youth group. They said, what are you studying? I said, the book of Genesis. They said, no, no, no don't study that. Study, study John. Like, you, if you really want to know the gospel, you need to study the book of John. And I said, oh, my gosh, what have I been doing? And so I go, and I go home, and as soon as I can, I open up my Bible, and I turn to the book of John, and I read John chapter 1, verse 1, that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God? And I thought to myself, this makes no sense. I'm out, right? And I was like, John can't be the book for me. And so I had remembered someone in my life referencing Psalm 23. And so I went back and I read Psalm 23. And it's a very famous psalm, often quoted in different places. And I began to read through it. I said, man, the Psalms seemed to speak to a bit more of my life. It, it, it seemed to use language that seemed to connect more with the language that I would want to use in my life in connection with an understanding of maybe who God is. And so I started back in Psalm chapter 1, and I started where we start this morning. And that book literally changed my life. As I began to see these men of God and how they write these songs to God, these prayers to God in a real, practical, tangible way, in language I could understand. And it didn't just inform me about God, it formed me by God. I, I didn't just get smarter because I read the book of Psalms, although I did learn things about him. I actually was formed by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes inside, transforms, and renews our minds to make us more like Jesus. That began to happen as this text became more and more real, and I think that's what the Bible does for us. And so I love that we get to do this this summer, and, and I have some hopes I'm going to share with you in just a moment, but there's some things that are going to help us in this introduction as we lay out on the front end that I think will help us 
reach some of those hopes that I think I and hopefully God has for our church as well. So let's talk structure. Now, there's 150 chapters across five books. This is not originally the way it was compiled. They're all written as individual songs or, or praises to God, poetry to God, but then were compiled later, brought together 150 chapters across five books. We'll notice a structure from um, introduction. There's a nice middle plot area, and then we'll have a conclusion. So the intro is really Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really serve as an introduction for the book of Psalms for us and for the reader. Psalm 1, and it's what we'll delve into deeper today, really focuses on the law of God and meditating, knowing, rejoicing in the law of God. He who lives by the law of God will be earthly blessed. Psalm 2 focuses on the Messiah, right? On, on the coming fulfillment of what we get from Psalm 1. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 serve as this first major theme of the book of Psalms, which is Torah and Messiah, or law and fulfillment. And we'll see this track through the entire book of Psalms as we see constantly this reference to the law and the goodness and the work and the truth of God in the midst of a promised Messiah, which was to come, which gave hope in the midst of every trial that they would experience throughout this entire book. So law, fulfillment, Torah, Messiah. Again, this is our first intro. Again, Psalm chapter 1. If you live by the law here in this world, you will be earthly blessed. If you live by God in his son, Psalm 2, you will be eternally blessed. This becomes the first intro to the book. Now as we move through the rest of the book, again, 148 other psalms. We're going to talk about 3 through 145. In those, we have the ordered middle five books intentionally compiled to represent and reminisce about the five books of the Torah. So when they began to compile these praises, these songs, they knew about the Torah. The Jews had this great heritage of loving the law of God, which was the first five books of your Bible, the Torah. The Psalms is meant to be a new Torah of sorts, not to replace the first Torah, but to be this new moment of showing the experience of God and his people, albeit in the midst of healthy theology and doctrine, but in personal, rich experience. It was to be the prayer book of the people of God, that now the Jews would open this up and be able to pray through these, to sing these, to worship in these, to know God deeper, again, to be formed and not just informed. This is this ordered middle. The first three books mostly focus on lament. Okay, the first three books mostly focus on lament. There are some praise psalms in there, but most of them are lament psalms, meaning they cry out to the Lord. Something is not right. This is not the way it should be. Man, this is missing in the church today. This is missing in the church. Um, how many of you guys grew up, and maybe some of you, I know some of you church kids probably weren't able to, but watch The Simpsons. Any of you? Yeah. So there was this guy named Ned Flanders that was on that show, okay? I often think this is how we treat our worship of God. That when we sing of to God, when we speak with God, it's always the smiley Ned Flanders version of our life, right? How, how, I don't even know what he says. It's like something neighbor. How do you do neighbor or whatever it is. Whatever he said, it's always smiling. Everything is always fine. No matter what's going on in his life, there is never a moment of lament. It is just celebration. It is just life is good. And please tell me, if you are that person who has never had a bad thing happen to you, I want to know you because I just want to be around you. That is not normal. 
that's not life. Life is filled with trial, with pain, with brokenness, with hurt, with betrayal, with sadness, with uh, this person leaving you, that person leaving you, with death, with insert whatever it may be, addiction. These things are things to be lamented about, and yet we often treat this relationship with God as if he doesn't care about those things or he doesn't want to hear it. God is a big boy. He can handle the problems of the world. And so I love that the first arc of this story that we get in this ordered middle is this idea of lament, being able to pour out, to be honest with God, to say, God, this is truly what I'm struggling with right now. He knows it anyway. You might as well say it. Okay, the the second uh, half of the book, or sorry, books four and five, mostly, predominantly, are praise psalms. So, so what we begin to see is this, this, this arc of the narrative story, right? So in the introduction, we get present, uh, presented with the perfect law and the perfect Messiah, the perfection that was. Then we begin to move into this lament moment where we see the world is broken, the fall becomes prevalent, but it doesn't stop there because the Messiah's thread is true throughout it. And we begin then to move towards praise and celebration because the Messiah has come, and this is where we live now. The eager hope and anticipation of the Jews existed for them as they wrote these praise psalms, but now exists for us in reality because Jesus has come. Jesus has lived the life we couldn't live. Jesus did die the death we deserve to die, and Jesus did rise from the dead to give us new life. That's happened. We celebrate. But we get to see this narrative arc throughout, and we'll get to live in this narrative arc throughout the book of Psalms, which I hope helps transform us again from the inside out as the gospel does. There's this um, fantastic quote, I think, from Eugene Peterson, who, who if you haven't seen it, did a, a brilliant like 10-minute video with Bono from U2 uh, about the book of Psalms. And they, they talked about this idea of having uh, and needing more honesty within worship within the church. And, and I could not agree more. Uh, if you guys have an opportunity, I, I encourage you to go check it out. But Eugene Peterson said this. He says, our habit is to talk about God, not to him. We love discussing God. The Psalms resist these discussions. They are not provided to only teach us about God, but to train us in responding to Him. We don't learn the Psalms until we are praying them. We don't get the full experience, and I agree with this comment. I don't think we get the full weights of what it meant for the people of God to to write these poems, these songs to God. If we don't step into the reality, this is also our condition. And so how do we pray through these? How do we sing through these? And how do we celebrate? So that second theme is laments and praise. Right? So first, first theme throughout this book is going to be law, it's going to be Torah and, and Messiah, Jesus. Right? The second theme is going to be lament and praise. And then the third one is faith and hope. This constant wrestling of, God, this, this doesn't seem easy. Life right now doesn't seem easy. Lord, where are you? You seem distant. But I hope in your truth. All grounded in the beautiful word of the Lord which is what we'll talk about today. We, we have hope, not, not, not just because of the Bible, because the Bible has been fulfilled fully by Jesus. Every prophecy, every law fulfilled in Christ. And so now there is hope in the midst of every trial that moves us in faith and hope. It moves us forward looking eternally and also celebrating the reality that God might use us here. Okay, these, these are the things. Now, style, oh, sorry, the end, of the, the end of the book of Psalms, 146 through 150, these last five psalms, 
I think, our conclusion to the book of Psalms, which round out the narrative arc of the entire book. At the beginning and the end of every one of those Psalms, 146 to 150, it is the same word, hallelujah. Hallelujah. At the beginning and the end. And many of your translations say, praise the Lord. And then, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think it serves as the conclusion for this book at the end of the day. The end of man is to worship and celebrate and make joy and glory of God. Praise the Lord. So my hope in the midst of this entire series is, again, that we would be a people who are formed by the gospel, the narrative arc of this book, that we would not just be informed but formed by it, that in everything we do, we would then take this to the world. Because these psalms were certainly meant to engage the hearts of the people of God as they worshipped him. They were certainly meant to give glory to him, but they were meant to also be a formative tool that they would be and fulfill the mission that they were given in the beginning, which was that they were blessed to be a blessing. And so if we get to the end of the summer and we just all love God more and we love ourselves more because of our identity in him, we love each other more, but we do nothing to love the city of Flagstaff or wherever you call home better, I think we've also then missed what God's trying to do here. So my hope is, is this neat, formative moment for our church to look more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus, and be so shaped by his word in the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives, which illuminates, shows us scripture, and then allows us to live it out when we leave, that all of these things would be true for us. Um, Notice style-wise, the Psalms are, they're poetry, right? They're they're not written in prose. So they're meant to elicit emotion, and that's okay. I think sometimes we can kind of get a little nervous, but they're not meant to give us direct doctrine, right? You don't read the book of Psalms and say, okay, I'm going to form this great doctrine off of this book. Now, you can, and doctrine is often supported by Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms is quoted more times than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament than any other. It's all over the place. But it is poetic. It is meant to engage us at that level, that we wouldn't just say these tangible, practical things about God, but we would say these emotive, feeling things even about God as well. Um, I, I meant to ask her before I could use this illustration, but I don't even think she's here. So I asked her husband, and he said, I don't know. And so I'm going to do it anyway. But Jessica G is a great friend of ours. Um, and uh, she has this thing. And if you know her, it's amazing. If you, I mean, we'll be hanging out. And I don't know if you know this, but Anthony and I are very funny. Okay? We are just super funny. Okay? Especially together, it's ridiculous. And so um, we're just going at it. Like, we're, you know, it's just amazing. And everyone's laughing on their knees. It's a great. And, and Jess is there. And Jess's response is just doesn't laugh. Jess just looks at you and says, oh, my God, that is so funny. That is so funny. And, and that's, if you can ask Anthony, like she just does not, she doesn't smile or laugh in those moments. Now she does smile and laugh other times, but when stuff is funny, she just says it's funny. Like it's, it's amazing. I don't know how she does it. Yet it's sin. Uh, no, just kidding. No, 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 it's not. What I'm saying here is I want us to move beyond, listen, I want us to move beyond the verbal assents that we give to God. I want us to move past these just these little voice voice nugget. That's not right. I want us to move through these cliches that we use. 
well, God is good and, you know, all the time and all the time God is good. Okay, yeah, that is so true. And we can totally sit in that and proclaim that. I get it. And here's how I know that we need to move past this. It's because I know even in my own heart how often I can just sit before, like, this morning set and sing these words and sing them very practically. God, you did come to save us. Glory, glory in the highest. And I can be so disconnected. And I don't want that for the people of God. I don't want that for my soul. I don't think you probably want that for your soul. And I think the Psalms will help move us as a people where we stop just being a people of mental ascent, but actually be a people who begin where our hearts begin to cling to these realities and actually then changes us and motivates us to go. Mental ascent doesn't do much when we get out there. But I think a true, continuous all of life change of the work by the work of God will allow us to be the church and be the people we're supposed to be. Okay, so that uh, I think that's the intro. Yeah, so we're going to turn to Psalm chapter one, verse one. If you have a Bible, open up to that Psalm one one. If you don't, we'll have a few people bringing down Bibles. We'd love for you to follow along. There's a good chance the computer will die again. We can't guarantee anything here, and so Psalm one one. Follow along if you want a Bible. Just raise up your hand, and one of the guys will bring it down to you. And don't feel weird about that. Now, um, what's happening here is David is writing this first psalm. And, and, and I think he's doing it as he looks over Israel. As, as he's this king and he's looking over this land, looking over his people. And I begin to think he sees what's going on and begins to know, man, this is what the people of God need to be counseled by. Otherwise, they will easily be swayed by the competing stories of the day by the competing ideologies, by the competing faiths, by the competing, uh, competing teachings, on and on and on, I think he's like, okay, Lord, let, let us sing, let us rejoice, let us pray for the people of God that this would be true. And that's what we're going to do for us our, ourselves today. So Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so on the front end, what he's going to do throughout this whole psalm is compare and contrast the wicked man and, and, the, uh, and, and the non-wicked man, right? So the blessed man and the wicked man, and put these two up against each other, and we're going to see on the front end here these negative imperatives or negative descriptors of the blessed man. And so let's run through these. And I'd like for us, if we may, to take kind of a counsel or a triage of our own hearts and our own minds, our own souls, our own lives as we walk through this list. So the first one, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? Listen, who doesn't take advice from wicked people? Who doesn't take advice from people who should not be teaching you? Okay, so I ask you, who, who do you listen to? Right, in life, who is your counsel? When you have a question about life, who do you go to? And do they have any authority whatsoever to be giving you sound, quality, and I would say biblical advice? If not, Find someone else to counsel you. Get, get around people that you say your heart also identifies with their heart and vice versa. So if you're going to come to Verity and I and you're going to say, hey, I want to know about healthy eating, you're not choosing me, right? You choose Verity, the small fit thing, okay? That sounds so weird thing. I love you, woman, gorgeous woman. Okay, I apologize. That was just came out. Um, no, you choose Verity, right? She knows that stuff. She reads that stuff. She's gotten me eating organic. Like, it's, it's just, this has been a trip. So don't go and get counsel from people who you know disagree with your worldview. 
I think this, listen, this is, this is a huge warning on the front end from David to the people of God. Because this has been their story for years and years and years. Israel constantly began to seek out the wisdom and the counsel of people who did not love Yahweh, who did not know God. And so David has seen this. He's heard the stories. We just did the book of Judges where we constantly see the people chasing after other idols and other gods. He's like, listen, stop doing that. You want to be a blessed person? The blessed is the man who seeks counsel not in the wicked. Okay, the second one, who stands not in the way of sinners. Okay, so who doesn't act like an unrepentant sinner? There's not, we'd like there to be some more breaking down of this. Well, he doesn't mean like, you know, all my, it's just this little sin. It's not that big a deal. And, And we can rationalize what he's trying to communicate here very easily. And we rationalize the scripture to say our sin's not that bad because, listen, if you're a Christian, you know it's covered, right? That is just from the pit of hell and foolishness. We, I mean, we railed on this, I think, a few weeks ago, so maybe we won't spend as much time, but sin is absolutely destructive and disgusting and wicked and not for you. Sin, sin draws you from God. It tears up your relationships. It pulls you from everything you think you long and want to be. It changes and reorients your desires. It is not what you should strive for. And so I think when he's saying this, he's like, no, blessed is a person who's not a sinner. That's just got to be true. Like, we have to see that. Now, all of us here would probably admit we still are, hopefully, right? At some level, we're all still sinning frequently, some more than most, Right? We're all sinners. But I think what he's saying is, okay, man, blessed is the person who stays away from sin. That's just, don't, don't get caught up. It's, that's just true. Sin has never done anything good for you. It might feel like it in the moment, but I guarantee you, long term, when you look back on it, there will be absolutely nothing good that sin will have done for you. Blessed is the man who keeps away from sin. It's that simple. I don't think this is David being proud because I know even in the next one he says uh, the last part of this negative imperative, who sits not in the seat of scoffers, right? Who doesn't stand back and just sit down and lob pride bombs upon everybody else and judge everyone else from a distance as they live in such a reality where they think they're perfect. Don't do that either. And so we, we live in this, this healthy tension of, of realizing this, this, the weight of our sin the desire for us to, to keep from those things. But we also don't allow that to bring pride and allow us to be puffed up that then we judge those around us. That's not at all what we're called to either. Blessed is that man or woman who lives like this, okay? So he's gonna transition here with some positive descriptors, not just these negative ones. In verses two and three, he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Okay, so blessed is the man or woman who not, not doesn't live this way, but does live this way. The first one, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay, now, we're going to get to how you should be reading your Bible more. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? But that's not what this part is saying whose delight is in the law of the Lord, 
right? Whose, whose affection, whose desire, whose longing, whose love is for God's rule and God's goodness and God's law to be paramount. So, so this isn't a, a tangible, hey, you need to read more. Again, we'll get there. This is, do, let me ask you a question. Does your heart delight in God's law? Right? D- does your mind, does your heart, does it cling to the reality that God's law, that God's imperative, that God's way is the best possible way for you and for everyone else to live? Because that's just true. Do you delight in that reality or do you get frustrated because God's calling you to live a certain way you don't want it? Because God is saying, well, I don't know about that thing and I really want to look at this. I want to watch this. I want to be with this person. I want to do this thing. I want to choose myself. I want to swindle this person. I want to experience grief. And yet the law of the Lord says no. We often react in frustration in anger, in apathy, in forget you, I'll do my own thing. Do you delight, not just do you read your, do you delight in the reality that God knows better than you do? I mean, celebrate. Is it a good thing to you that God has given you borders to your life? Is it a good thing to you that true freedom actually has borders? That you, True freedom doesn't mean you go and do whatever you want. True freedom means you live within God's set parameters. That is where freedom is found. Do you delight in that? And, and man, this one was the hardest, and there's a, there's a few questions. This one was the hardest one for me to truly just kind of, man, like, do I? I don't know. I, I, know, I know I try and do it. Oftentimes, it, there's kind of this begrudging submission, right? Well, I guess because you're Lord, I guess I'll do it because you tell me to. That's not it. It, it, For example, generosity. Not not just not here at the church, but generosity in general. God's called you, Christian, to be a generous person. Okay? Now we can give begrudgingly, we can be generous begrudgingly, but God does not call for that. God calls for the cheerful giver. And I think it's because of this. It's because we're to delight in the law of the Lord, because we trust that God's way is better than our way, because God is smarter than we are, He's bigger than we are, He's better than we are. Any other deviation from this is a faith claim that God's way is not that good, okay? Every time that we engage with sin, you are making a faith statement that God's way, God's law, what God has said, what God says, this is what your life should look like. You are saying, God, you're wrong. Now, we struggle with this, right? It's, it's sin, it pulls us, it tears us, it's hard, I get all of that. But when we get down to the bare level, we don't think God knows what he's doing. You don't know what will bring me the most joy. Because if we believed it, if we delighted in it, it would sure, be a sure whole lot easier to live in it. Okay. And so I think we need, to start, we need to start there. John 14 says, right, he, he who has my commands and obeys me, he is the one who loves me. He has my commands and obeys me. He's the one who loves me. What do we do with these things? God is longing for us to walk in and delight in his law. Okay. Um, the second one, um, who meditates day and night on God's law. Now this is, this is, you need to, just let's bring it right practical right today. You need to read your Bible. 
Now, now I, I think it goes beyond that. It goes engage in, right? Pray to God, pray through the Psalms, pray through the scripture, okay? Like get engaged with what God is communicating, how he has, uh, you know, brought in um, uh, explanation and life through the scriptures into you, right? And work through those things. But listen, read your Bible, Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on his word. Blessed is the man who opens up the word of God and doesn't just know it, but meditates on it, right? That like, like sits before it and just chews and chews and chews and receives all the possible nutrition they can get from it. If you're not reading the Bible, I'll say this, I often meet with people and they'll say, well, I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this. I say, okay. And I ask them two questions. Say, how often do you, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? And usually both of those answers are close to never. And I say, well, listen, let's go back. Let's start, let's start with the fundamentals and then let's meet again. And almost every time that someone actually takes me up on that, and we meet together a month later. I'm not saying every sin is figured out. I'm not saying they're perfect. It's not even close. A lot of times they're still dealing with the same amount of sin, but their understanding, their love, and their engagement with God, their desire to move forward, their desire to leave behind a life of sin and move towards a life of righteousness, that is there now. Read your Bible. Open it up. If you have questions about how to study it, that's why we exist. Come and talk to us. There's mentors throughout this entire place that I respect at incredible levels because of their knowledge and their love for God's word. I guarantee you almost every single one of them will sit down with you and teach you what it means to study scripture. There are people in this church that I think pray more than I could ever fathom, and I think that's a huge part of this, is the Psalms, again, the prayer book of the people of God. I have wild respect for people in that arena. You have struggles there, come, but we will set you up. But to sit and just say, ah, I'll figure it out later, that's not an option. For the people of God who long to be blessed, to be called blessed by God. Okay, Meditate on his word day in and day out. And he gives us this, this simile. It's not a metaphor. I was corrected this week. It's a simile, not a metaphor. He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and leaves do not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Okay? Um, you're the tree, okay? God's word is the water. So, so David said, listen, if, if, if you don't believe me, David's probably saying, hey, if you don't believe Vince in 2016, he's forward-looking right now, I'm going to give you a metaphor, a simile. Dang it. You're the tree, God's word is the water. Has anyone ever done any type of farming or planting or anything like that? Just raise your hand. We're going to be very interactive right now. How many trees have you grown that have received zero water? Okay, thank you. Zero, right? I mean, no one's saying anything. I'm assuming that means none, okay? That means zero water whatsoever. Now, I don't even know the anatomy of a cactus. Can they go without water forever? Probably not. I think eventually they die, right? Thank you. And so, I'm from Louisiana. Um, it needs water to grow, to yield. You're the same way. And if you leave behind God, you leave behind his word, you leave behind prayer, you leave behind these fundamental things of the people of God, God, how do you, how do you expect to grow? 
It's just, it really is that simple, yet we are seem to be so confused by it. There's another quote, and I just went off on quotes this week. I apologize, but this one's from Soren Kierkegaard. He says, this is the Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well at the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. So, so it's, it's not tough. And, and, and the excuse of I'm too busy doesn't, doesn't fit because I know the way most of you spend your time. I know the way I spend my time and I know how I'll use that excuse. So I know, listen, you're not any better or any worse than I am. Read your Bible, okay? Like open it up. Crack open the binding. When you hear that like weird cracking sound, that means it hadn't been open in a while, okay? We have extra Bibles. You can take them as you go. You have friends that don't have them. Take as many as you want. Give them out. That's cool. So to help you this summer, in the back, we have a Psalms summer reading list. We as a church are going to read the entire book of Psalms together. We're only going to preach on 12 of the Psalms. We've picked 12 specific ones just for our congregation. We have four different people preaching this summer. 12 Psalms will preach, but 150 I want us to read. We've laid it out. How many you do each day? You'll get through the summer. Listen, this is like legitimately 10 minutes of reading a day, but man, I highly encourage you to go beyond just reading, but to meditate, to sit in, to sing, to celebrate these words that people who have gone before us have written for our benefit. And so you can pick this up on the way out. There's going to be a little sign that says uh, Psalm Summer Reading List. Pick up here or something like that. And uh, we've printed off a ton of copies. And so be sure to pick one up on your way out. Okay. Um, if you're a family, just get one per family. I don't know if we have enough necessary for everyone. That's just a little side. Okay. So that's, so read your Bible. Okay. Um, where am I at? Oh, and all he does, he prospers. So in all he does, he prospers. Now, now is this true, right? Do, do we believe this? I don't know, because I've, I don't know any of you who have done this perfectly. And so to say, well, in all he does, if you do these things, you'll prosper. I don't know. But it seems to be the case. It seems to be the case. Now, prosperity, and I don't have a ton of time to talk about this. Now, that looks different from the way oftentimes it gets talked about. And so let's be very careful here. When all he does prospers does not mean that you are going to get every job that you've ever wanted to get. doesn't mean you're going to get the girl or the guy that you want to get. doesn't mean that you're going to have the, jo- the, the, the promotion, the job that you want. It's not going to mean you have the finances. and It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you'll be blessed by God. And God's greatest blessing comes in the form of himself. Okay. That you would know him, that you'd cherish him, that his gospel story would bring about the peace and the hope that it's supposed to. That's my hope. Okay, so some questions. Who counsels you? Right, we said that. Is sin your norm? Okay, shouldn't be. Okay, um, do you know, love, and trust God? Right? Do, you, do you know, love, and, and, and want his good for this world? Do you trust and delight in his law? Is that true for you? And do you study God's word? How often? Where are you? Are you in it? Are you meditating on it? Do you pray? These are just simple triage questions for the people of God that we should be asking. Blessed is that person. Now, in contrast, in contrast, we talk about the wicked in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so instead of the blessed man or woman, this is now the wicked man or woman, the one who rejects God, the one who goes their own way, who answered the wrong way to all of the questions we just proposed. And they are like chaff that is blown away. Another simile to contrast the first simile. 
If you're not too familiar with chaff, and I wasn't all that familiar, to be honest, myself, okay, when you're on the threshing floor with wheat, okay, and the seeds begin to be separated, the grain begins to be separated from this, this stuff that's called chaff, and it comes off, and it's light, and it often flies in the air or lifts up, or the wind will come through and blow it through. On, if you have a barn on either side, the wind will blow through and carry it away. Oftentimes, it's used to, it'll just be burned, right? Like, they'll just take it, and they'll burn it up. Okay, this is chaff. It's of no use. And it gets blown away, simply. It says the wicked will not stand in judgment. In other words, they cannot be counseled. Nor will they seek judgment for others. Nor will they seek ever counsel from other people. They will never be able, if, unless there is a turn, a change, a move, by the power of God, we'll talk about in just a moment, They cannot, the wicked cannot, they cannot seek counsel. And so someone has to intervene, okay? And they will perish, the wicked will perish. Again, this reminder, this redemptive arc of this eternity that awaits. So, the gospel piece in all of this. The good news for, for not, listen, not just for the Christians, it's good news for the world. Is that there... There has been one. There, there was one. There is one who has fully fulfilled every command, every negative imperative, every positive imperative in the beginning of the book of Psalms. And I just want to read it again, and we're going to talk about Jesus. He says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and leaves do not wither. And all that he does, is prosper. Uh, he prospers. So walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Who counseled Jesus? Only one, the Father. Okay. Isaiah 40, 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? His counsel is only God. His counsel is only the Father. There's never been a wicked counselor who has ever taken the ear of Christ who stands not in the way of sinners. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen, there was nothing that Jesus ever succumbed to, no temptation, no sin. He fully fulfills this. Who sits not in the seat of scoffers. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He did not sit in the seat of scoffers. He did not just sit in the pride, although he deserved to have it because he is God in the flesh. Yet he does not sit back and lob pride bombs on people. He sits not in the way of scoffers. Yet his delight is in the law of the Lord. Matthew 4, 4. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He does not get rid of the law, yet he fulfills it. He loves it. He lives it out perfectly. He meditates on it day and night. He knows that he lives it. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come. That's the, I wrote that one. That's what is going on there. I've quoted the wrong thing. It's in there somewhere. I don't know what it was, but it was good. I'll say this. Jesus, how, how often do we see Jesus retreat? He gets away to spend time with God. Okay. How often amongst, right, he's doing something. He's like, hey, I got to go. And he's off on his own, and he's praying to the Father. I, I'm, ge- I'm guessing he's probably meditating on the Word. It wasn't written down yet. He just knew it by heart. He wrote it. Okay. Jesus. 
the simile and metaphor, okay? Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Prince of Peace, the Potter, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, the Vine, the Rock, and the Light of the World. He is the blessed man that in all he did and all he does, he prospers. Death could not defeat him. A stone could not keep him buried. Even in his destruction, he prospered. Everything that we hope and long to be, Jesus fulfilled for us. The hope of Psalm 1 is it's already pointing to the Messiah. Because it's saying, blessed is this person. And I tell you, when I look at that list and I ask myself those questions this week, and it was, Vince, you know what, you need to stop sinning. Okay, well, I've tried that for 13 years since I got saved, and it hasn't worked fully yet, right? And, And many of you might say the same thing. And I've tried not to sit in pride. I've tried to be humble, right, and be encouraging instead of attacking to people. But oftentimes my flesh wins over, right? And I begin to scoff at others. When I, when I go down the checklist, I say, man, no, and I fail here too, and I fail here too, and I fail here too. And the only hope and, and moment of faith and hope I have and rejoicing I have, the reason why I think David and we can sing this song and sing the songs that we'll sing is because Jesus Christ fulfilled this to a T. Psalm 1 is just a foreshadow to the coming Messiah who will do what you and I cannot do. And in him doing it, he gives life here and forevermore. And so I just want to land with this. If you're here and, and, and you're not a Christian, I, I want to say thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. I know it's often weird. I made kind of a weird step like that to start going to church at age 19 also. And so that was kind of weird. I don't know where you're at, how old you are. But if that's your story, today, Jesus is reminding you of what he's done. And, and it's through me, but I think he's probably talking to you himself. He does that. And so if, if, that's, if that's you, I long for you to give your life to Christ, to place faith, to place hope, to place trust, to call Christ Lord, to believe in what he has accomplished on the cross, which is to take each and every sin that you've ever committed and put it on his shoulders. Each and every, Listen, there's nothing you've done, nothing you'll do today, nothing you'll do in the future that he did not die for. doesn't matter, matter how wretched or terrible you think you are. doesn't matter how proud or amazing you think you are. He died for you too. And so faith, trust, and love him, and then live like him. Christians, let's, let's be like Jesus. Let's be like the Messiah that is talked about here in the beginning of the book of Psalms. And again, let's allow the gospel story to change us from the inside out that we would then go, that we wouldn't just be people that are so focused on mental ascents, but we would connect with the heart of God as we worship and praise him. And so as we sing songs this afternoon, it is this immediate opportunity for the people of God in this room to sing loud and proud and give glory to our Father in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for lists like this because I know I respond well to them because I just oftentimes need to be reminded of my own areas of, uh, God, I think it's presumption. God, areas where I just think I'm doing well because I don't spend a lot of time just meditating on where I'm at, where you're calling me, where and what your, what your word is saying. God, I confess and repent of the times where I feel like I know better than you. 
Lord, I pray for us as, as your family, God, that we would just walk in humility. That we would sing these praises, these, these salmos, God, that we would be these people that sing to the Lord, that praise God. God, and we don't do it because we know we're supposed to. We don't do it because we just know it's true. God, we do it because we love it. God, I love the fact. God, I love the fact that you're a good father. God, I, I love the fact, God, that, that you have come to save us. God, I pray that there would just be a robust movement of the Holy Spirit in this place. God, in our hearts, God, that you would move us to a place of worship and praise that many of the people who have gone before us have encouraged us to experience. God, thank you for your word. I pray that it continues to do the work that you have allowed it to do for centuries, God, to pierce the deepest parts of our hearts. And God, to remind us of the gospel, to point us to Jesus, to grant salvation and life here and life forevermore. In your name we pray, amen.